Hey guys. Um, if you don't know me, my name is Alex Gray. I'm on staff here with Veritas. Thank you. That's kind. Um, if you do know me, you know that I like to think uh, pretty often that I am more competent than I am. Um, and, and you also might know that this gets me into trouble a lot, um, like all the time. Uh, but this is probably never more apparent in my life than when I'm in Japan. So I've spent about a year and a half there, both with um, Veritas's summer trip and then as kind of a longer-term missionary. Uh, so I have countless examples of overconfidence totally backfiring on me. But one example uh, that I want to give you guys is from my first summer there when I was naive and just so eager to learn the language. And my now good friends, Jake and Anna Claire, they, they were new missionaries there. And so I followed them around and wrote down and repeated back every Japanese word that they would teach me. So one day uh, while I'm there, I'm alone and I stop at our favorite coffee shop, Zarame. I think these are the donuts and coffee. So good, guys. So, and I think, I'll try my hand at my new skills, right? So I order a kohi, a coffee, and I order it omochikaidi, which means to go. And success. I get my coffee to go. I pay for it. And then I realize, oh, shoot, I'm on my bike, which means that I probably need a bag to keep my coffee upright in my basket, right? So I just say, ah, tohokuru, which means and a bag. But I get a blank stare from the barista. And so I say again, uh, hokuru. Again, nothing. So it's getting a little awkward, and so I, I like elaborate the only way I know how, which is I say, which is like a bag with the coffee. And, and so she's kind of confused. She nods and turns around, and she makes another coffee, which then I pay for because, like, what am, what am I supposed to do, you know? So I'm like, ah. So I still, then I have two coffees and no bag. So I finally see the bags over the counter, and so I reach over, which is super rude there, and, and I grab it, and I go, hokuro, one more time before, like, jetting out of there, right? So I finally get to the church, and I immediately find Jake, and I'm recounting this story, and he says, well, what word did you use for bag? And I go, hokuro, like you taught me, expecting him to be, like, super perplexed too, right? But he goes, oh, that's not the word for bag, it's hukuro. Like, come on. I mean, hokuro, hukuro. I'm like, ah, so close. Like, the waitress didn't know what I needed. And he goes, well, no, I think that's a different word. So he looks it up. And you know what hokuro means? It means dark facial mole. So run that back with me real quick. I am asking for a dark facial mole repeatedly with my coffee. Like, I'm literally going mole. Mole with my coffee, please. Thank you. Yikes, man. I have no idea what that worker thought I was implying, but, but clearly I probably should have run that word a few more times through my vocabulary before I use it in the real world, right? Yikes. But the thing is, see, I tend to do this a lot in life. You know, I hear or I see something once, and then... I assume I've got it on lockdown, you know, that I know what it means and how it applies to my life. And, and I sometimes do that with scripture. Like, have you ever done that? Have you read a verse once and, and you assumed you knew exactly what it meant and how it applied to your life? I think the reality is we all have, but, 
there's danger in that, see, because we end up misunderstanding and misusing God's word. So tonight we're going to continue on in our series uh, on Philippians uh, by looking at a short passage where I think it's easy to misread and misapply what Paul is saying. So we're going to pick up in chapter 4, and we're going to read it verses 4 through 7. So if you have your Bible, read along with me. Um, Again, that's Philippians 4, verses 4 through 7, which say, Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, if you read that once over, what jumps out at you? Because for me, it's do not be anxious about anything. That seems straightforward, right? Pretty clear. But if we take that at face value, we read that Paul is telling us not to do something that 100% of us do. Each and every one of us, we have things to be anxious about. But what really is anxiety? Well, first, it's a normal part of biology. You know, I'm not going to pretend like I understand all the science behind it because I don't. But I do know that it's a hormonal response in the body that produces something called cortisol when we're under, like, prolonged stress or pressure. So, you know, think about semesters where you've had a really heavy course load. And and week after week, you're just trying to keep up. Man, you're just trying to get to the next deadline. Or maybe you're paying your way through school, and so in order to cover the bills, you work two or three jobs, you know, 20 to 30 hours a week, in between classes and studying and sleeping. Or maybe, you know, there's tension with roommates. So going home lately, it hasn't been restful. It's it's been full of tough conversations or awkward encounters about unspoken issues. So for some of of us, that long-term stress, it's going to cause us to worry. So cortisol in the body, it triggers our brain to sort of enter problem-solving mode, right? And we proceed to think about things from a billion different angles, or or we start to imagine worst-case scenarios. We say, will I have enough money to pay for school? Should I add another job? Should I take out another loan? Can I live on an even tighter budget next semester? What will happen if I can't pay rent? Am I going to have to move home or quit school? What am I going to do? Do you tend to worry like this? See, for some of us, that's the case. But for others of us, that long-term stress, it causes something else. It causes clinical anxiety. So in this case, the body responds with an overproduction, like an abnormal amount of cortisol. So over time, that cortisol and that constant overload of hormones, it's going to start to affect us. You know, we might get a nagging feeling or we might get pressure in our head, or, or pain in our chest, or nausea in our stomach. It might keep us from sleeping. It might keep our heart rate up for seemingly no reason. Maybe it feels overwhelming, distracting. Maybe you feel like you're suddenly emotionally unstable, or just flat out miserable. 
sometimes these feelings, you know, we can't shake them, and so they follow us around for months and years. Do you experience this kind of anxiety? Because I think however it plays out for us personally, an understanding of science and biology, it's going to tell us that anxiety is a real physiological part of life. But the thing is, the Bible actually backs that up too. So look at what Peter says in 1 Peter 5, 6. He says, Humble yourselves, therefore, under the mighty hand of God, so that at the proper time he may exalt you, casting all your anxieties on him, because he cares for you. Peter commands his readers to cast their anxieties on God, which acknowledges that he does know that they will in fact have anxieties. He knows they'll be there, so cast them on the Lord, he says. Each and every one of us, we're going to have anxiety at some point or another about something or another. Meaning, if we read this passage in Philippians and we hear that Paul is telling us to never feel anxious or to never have a single worry ever again, it's not like we're going to just be able to get rid of those thoughts and feelings. They'll still happen, and so we'll be left wondering, you know, what are we doing wrong? Or what's wrong with us? We'll wonder if we're not praying the right way, or if we're not trusting God enough. We'll run, wonder if, if God really even loves us, or, or if he's even there at all. See, if we read these verses thinking this way, it's just going to shame us, and it's going to frustrate us and defeat us. So Paul is not saying that in order to follow God, we must never have a worried thought ever again. He's not saying that having an anxious feeling equals you sinning. But then what is he saying? If we look more closely, we're going to find that rather than telling us to just stop it, stop worrying, don't get anxious, Paul is telling us to lean into that anxiety. After all, where is Paul while he's writing this letter to the Philippians? He's in prison, right? So Paul has to know a few things about anxiety. He's been arrested because of his ministry. He's likely near the end of his life. And now he's got nothing but time to think about how things are going to turn out for himself and for the people that he loves. So Paul is no stranger to anxiety. He gets it. But He's telling the Philippians to lean into that anxiety. And he's telling us to lean into it too. I want to explain what I mean by lean in. And and I want to do that with my own story. Because I fall into the category of people that deals with clinical anxiety. And so even that term means a ton of different things. but, But I want to explain how it's played out for me. So anxiety is pretty task-related for me. You know, it picks up when I have a ton of things to keep track of um, and to be working on. And so it starts out mentally. You know, I can't quite shut off my brain during busy weeks. My thoughts will go in loops around what I need to accomplish, and so I'm constantly remembering and re-remembering these things that I can't seem to mentally set down. By the end of the day, sometimes I'll be exhausted, but then my brain... It keeps me awake for hours, which makes me obviously increasingly aware of the sleep that I'm losing and and more anxious about the day to come. So that's mentally, but then the physical symptoms start to set in. 
And that's first with a heart rate that just like won't chill out. I can't figure it out. And then there's tightness in my chest and pain that won't go away. And then I get a loss of appetite. And then finally, I have this total body meltdown where I get really physically sick to my stomach for a few days. So it's mental, it's physical, but it's also emotional for me. You know, it, at times it feels a lot bigger and a lot scarier than I can handle. And, and it gets to the point where it overwhelms my body so that it feels like it controls me, like it is me. And I have no choice, it seems, but to just give in to this fear and let it consume me. Sometimes it feels like this monster that I just don't think I'll ever get rid of. So, not surprisingly, I'm sure, this also ex affects me spiritually. So, early on in experiencing anxiety, I, I really felt uncared for by God because I didn't know really what was happening. And so I would cry out to God for, for answers and for relief, and I would feel like nothing would come. But over time, I learned warning signs and I learned tactics that I could use to reduce anxiety, but then it flipped and it just became this matter of self-reliance and this accomplishment to prove to God that I was growing. And so then a bad week with anxiety was incredibly discouraging and honestly sometimes still is because it feels like I'm backtracking in my trust and in my de dependency on God. In all of this, though, what I've learned about anxiety, little by little, you know, that kind of two steps forward, one step back kind of way that we talk about, I've learned that instead of running from it, from ignoring it, or just trying to conquer it, that I really do have to lean into it. So for the rest of the time tonight, I, I want to share with you guys how I'm learning to combat anxiety in my life. And, and I want to note, these aren't practical tactics or, or quick solutions when I'm feeling especially anxious, but I do use those too. So these, these things are the long-term efforts that I've actually really struggled to grow in, but have found really powerful in shaping how I walk through this. So I want to share three ways, again, among many that I use, and I use them imperfectly to really lean in. So the first way to lean in to anxiety is to rejoice in the Lord instead of seeking happiness. So look at what Paul says in verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. See, happiness and rejoicing, they're actually different things. We tend to make that word rejoice or joy synonymous with happiness. But happiness in the dictionary, it's connected with words like cheerfulness merriment, lightheartedness, bliss. Happiness in our culture today means frequently expressing positive emotions and, and feeling pretty good about the way that your life is going. It makes us think of, uh, you know, easy, comfortable, fun-filled days. That's not what Paul is calling the Philippians to in this verse. How could it be? Remember, he's in jail. He's writing this from jail, and his m life has been marked with pain and with sacrifice, you know, not comfort and bliss. And so he's not calling the Philippians to happiness because that would make no sense. Now, rejoicing is something different than happiness. Look at the words of the prophet Habakkuk. So important backstory. 
this is a prophet in the Old Testament who's living at a time where things are really, really rough. The kingdom of Israel, it's split into two, which is not a good thing. The people have fallen into all kinds of injustice, and God has revealed to Habakkuk that defeat and exile are coming for them at the hands of the Babylonians. So that's what's happening. And in poetic language, Habakkuk describes the state of things, and we see his response in Habakkuk 3, 17, and 18, where he says, Though the fig tree should not blossom, nor fruit be on the vines, the produce of the olive fail, and the fields yield no food. The flock be cut off from the fold, and there be no herd in the stalls. Yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will take joy in the God of my salvation. So in these verses, there's nothing to be, quote, happy about, right? I mean, honestly, if his response in this were to be merry and lighthearted and blissful, we wouldn't take it seriously. We would think he was deranged, right? Instead, he's doing what we would all be doing. He's lamenting, right? And yet, at the end there, he lands on two things. He lands on the Lord and his salvation. And this is where we find what it means to rejoice. Rejoicing, it's putting our confidence in the God of the universe who created and controls all things. Joy is resting in this goodness and the grace of the Lord, which he's shown us in many ways, but chiefly through the salvation that we have in Jesus. See, rejoicing, it's not a feeling, it's a foundation. It's not a feeling, it's a foundation. It's, it's not temporary happiness that's going to come and go. This is deep-rooted trust and assurance of God's promises. So how has rejoicing in the Lord helped me to lean in and fight anxiety? Let's take something that would cause weeks of building anxiety for me, like, I don't know, preparing to talk in front of 300 college students on a Tuesday night. What's anxiety-provoking about that, you might ask? Well, aside from the general feels that we all have, I think, about public speaking, I have a lot of thoughts that have been incessantly running through my head. Like, will I have enough time to prepare? What will people think of me if I don't do this well? Is this anxiety just going to get worse and worse until the talk actually happens? And if I entertain those thoughts and and I focus on how unhappy they make me feel, then anxiety becomes really distracting and really debilitating. But if I compare those thoughts and those feelings to God's promises, I can find joy. See, my anxious thoughts about having enough time to prepare, they just don't measure up to what Scripture says about God's provision in all things. And my feelings about people's opinions, they just don't measure up to God's unchanging acceptance and love for me. Admittedly, when my anxiety is bad, it is a battle to even make these comparisons. So, like I said before, this hasn't been a quick fix. It's been a process, you know, with ups and downs of fighting feelings and thoughts with a foundation of truth. But... I have seen God provide grace and incremental growth in in what it looks like to rejoice in him. I don't know each of your stories, but I do know that anxiety in many forms is on the rise. You know, every week 
I talk to students who are dealing with serious stress and all the symptoms that come with it. So maybe you don't deal with clinical anxiety, but you just experience the normal stress of life and, and you tend to respond in worry and planning and deliberating. Take a second to ask yourself, what are those things that cause you to worry? How do those thoughts and those feelings, how do they actually measure up to God's promise to sustain you and provide for you? Or maybe you do have clinical anxiety, and, and so you've got that unshakable tension or that nausea or, or those panicked thoughts, whatever it is. In what ways do you let those thoughts and those feelings be the basis for your happiness? Little by little, what would change if instead you base your joy on the promise of God's constant presence and incredible love for you? See, what I've learned is that in seasons where anxiety has been minor in my life, but also seasons where it's played a major role, the first way to combat it is to lean in by rejoicing in the Lord. What if you tried that the next time you started to feel anxiety creeping in on you? So second way we lean into anxiety is by praying. So instead of worrying, Paul tells us and the Philippians to pray. Go back to verse 6. Paul says, But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. Worry and prayer, just like happiness and rejoicing, they're different things. Paul's asking us to pray, but we tend to worry. Have you ever told someone, well, I've been praying about this decision a lot, which actually means, well, I've been worrying a lot about this decision. I for sure have. You know, sometimes we even feel like we've been praying about something because of how much we've been worrying about it. But, but worrying, that's working out something in our head on our own, by ourselves, with our own opinions and our own resources. Prayer, and specifically that word supplication, on the other hand, is taking our thoughts to God asking him to provide what we need and telling him what we desire in every situation. See, this is going to be far more powerful and far more comforting to us than just worrying because if you look back at 1 Peter 5, 6, Peter tells us to cast all your anxieties on him. Why? Because he cares for you. God genuinely and truly cares for you. So, When you come to him expressing your fears and your requests and your longings, asking for clarity and for guidance, he delights in answering you. And who better to answer you than the all-powerful, all-loving God of the heavens and the earth? What does prayer look like for me in the midst of anxiety? First, sometimes I literally have to ask God to give me the desire to even want to pray. Otherwise, I am super prone to ruminating in my head over my own thoughts. I frequently have to ask God, help me remember to bring things to you in the first place. Second, it means I don't feel shame or foolishness in asking God to divinely remove my symptoms. You know, he wants me to make my requests known to him. And so I'm going to ask him to take it away from me. Sometimes he does, you know, in beautiful and merciful ways. But sometimes he doesn't. 
And so third, it means that I ask for things like patience and trust and reliance on him when anxiety continues. See, the Bible doesn't promise that God will always remove trial. So I can't expect my chest pain or my lack of sleep or my stomach ache to disappear whenever I pray. When it doesn't, I'll admit prayer is incredibly difficult, but it's incredibly comforting because this is what convinces me that God is with me in this, that he's always near and present. Paul says in verse 5, the Lord is at hand. So I know that he hears my prayers and he promises to be right by my side, never leaving me and never taking his provision from me. So anxiety itself, it's frequently what I bring to God, but obviously there are other things that cause me worry and fear. So what is it for you? Is it the battle of clinical anxiety or is it something else? You know, maybe is it the fear of failure when you're applying to internships or to jobs? Is it the thought of loneliness when all your friends are in serious relationships but you're single? Is it the constant burden of family problems that you just can't seem to figure out and fix? See, God welcomes you. He's wanting you to ask him for comfort and for guidance, to cry out to him for provision in your needs and wants. And when you do, he promises that he'll come through. Maybe that's in the form of tangible relief, but maybe it's in his presence and in his care. Either way, prayer grows our trust and our dependence on him over time so that we can lean in and we can fight anxiety. Lastly, the third way that we lean into anxiety is by giving thanks to God for what he's provided instead of waiting for better circumstances. This is what Paul's saying when he says prayer and supplication should be with thanksgiving. So he's saying, yes, bring every last request to God, but don't let it get you into the habit of waiting for better circumstances. Because in our worries and our fears, even if we are bringing them to the Lord, we tend to expect our situation to at some point get easier, to at some point turn around, right? We wait for the day when finally things are going to go the way we want them to. The antidote for this, Paul tells us, is to give thanks. But not for everything, in everything. And that's the challenge, right? Because that means we can't thank God for the gifts that he gives us while also being discontent and bitter in the trials that we face. Being thankful in everything, that means, that means in whatever situation, we have to choose not only to be grateful for the favorable situations and circumstances that we have, but we also have to be able to see and give thanks for how he provides in the difficult ones, how he's working in the hard circumstances. Uh, another story from Japan, if you're not sick of those yet. Uh, it was during my year internship there, actually, that I first started experiencing anxiety. Um, and leading up to that anxiety, though, I, I was so busy. I had so many responsibilities, but everything I accomplished was getting an excessive amount of praise, and I lived for that. Like, I felt like a rock star there. So 
when I started having panic attacks and I was told to slow down, take it easy, I had responsibilities taken away from me, I was way mad at God. Because here I was, half a world away, serving the Lord, and he was giving me this crippling anxiety that made me feel like a weak, needy drain on the rest of my team. I asked God again and again to take it away so that things could just go back to normal, so that things would be easy and I could finally get stuff done again. I would love to tell you that it was right then and right there that I saw how God was working. But if you ask my coworkers here, anxiety has produced those same feelings of bitterness and discontentment over and over again. I literally remember saying last week, I wish I wasn't so fragile. I wish I could handle more. And yet, over the last three years or so, God has really graciously shown me that I have a lot to be thankful for in my anxiety. You know, I have good friends who speak truth into my life all the time. And I have incredible coworkers who choose to pull my weight when I get overwhelmed and I shut down. I have medicine that helps regulate the hormones in my body. But above all, I have a God who loves me enough to physically slow me down when I choose to chase accomplishment and praise from others over him. I can be thankful for all of these things on my good days, regardless of how anxiety is affecting my life. So what's going on in your life right now? What does it look like to be thankful for the easy circumstances, but also thankful in the difficult circumstances? Here's one thing we all have coming up, Thanksgiving break. Coincidental, right? For some of us, it's hard to be thankful thinking about spending a week at home. You know, it's hard to think of any good gifts that we have in our family or to see how God is working in any of those relationships. If that's you, I get it. And I'm not telling you to just grin and be thankful for the crappy stuff. Nobody wants to hear that, right? But I am going to encourage you to lean in. So take time thinking through the ways that God is upholding you in the midst of a hard week at home. Think about how his promises stand true, even in family time, whatever it looks like. Because the more that we give thanks for what God has provided, the easier it's going to be to actually lean in and combat anxiety in everything. So, see, what these verses in Philippians say, what Paul is calling us to, it's not to ignore anxiety, It's not to feel ashamed by it or to think that we can stop it from ever happening again. It's to lean in and face it with rejoicing, with prayer, and with thanksgiving. And if we do that, then something really glorious happens. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. God promises his peace to protect us. And this is awesome, right? We all want peace. This is exactly what we lack in the midst of anxiety. But what kind of peace do we want? Because this peace, this isn't the peace of fun-filled days and an easy finals week, you know? It's, it's not the peace of good sleep and normal heart rates. 
No, this is the peace of God. The kind of peace that Jesus talks about in John 14 when he says, peace, not as the world gives, but as I give to you. So don't miss this. The peace of God that will, will guard our hearts and our minds is found where? In Christ Jesus. It's right there. The source of peace, the location of peace, it's in Jesus. So as a music team comes back, I want to communicate what good news this is. Because, no, peace doesn't guarantee that everything's going to work out the way we want it to. For me and, and for some of you in this room, peace doesn't guarantee that clinical anxiety is going to go away. But it guarantees something far, far better. It guarantees that we are united with Christ, that his death and his resurrection has purchased our salvation and nothing can take that away. It guarantees that someday we will finally, finally see an end to all of our worries and all of our anxieties and for the rest of eternity, we will be free from them for good. And in their place will be the full presence of God, who in Christ has upheld us and protected us the entire time. And it's that peace, that promise, that gives us the power and the hope to lean in and trust him. Amen. Amen.